Listen to this. Zakawani, the flying winger. Here's Brad Evans. It's Steve. It's Steve. Who is it? It's Brad Evans. <laughs> said it again. Happy days are here again. Turning with a drive. It's Steve Zakawani. Evans with the left foot. He's an attacking threat, Brad Evans. This is so weird. The party has started. Yo, what's up, everyone? Welcome to Winging It with Zach and Brad. And today, you know, we're going to be focusing, obviously, on the Sounders' result last night. Some of the recent form were really close end of the season. Now, with decision day coming up, um, Seattle end the season at home to San Jose Earthquakes. Um, it's turned into a big game. You know, Seattle lost last night. Portland lost last night. Um, I would say Sporting's in the driver's seat, but we'll see how this thing shakes out. Um, we're going to be Joined by guest host, um, no stranger to anyone in the Sounders um, world, or US soccer, or global soccer, it doesn't really matter, um, Casey Keller joining us as well. So um, I want to start, I want to kind of ask you guys, because I kind of um, thought about the Sounders game a bit more this morning, and I think I could be wrong, I could be right, I don't know. I think the late goal sort of masked um, some of the true feelings that should be there. I think when you score late, 94th minute, you're going to be happy. You didn't lose the game. But the big picture is the Sounders have won one game in six. Um, I think it can be explained away. International absences um, were a big part of it. Players having to quarantine. But is there any reason for not just fans, but more internally, the players, um, Brian Schmetzer and the coaching staff, to be concerned about their form with just one regular season game left and then it's playoffs, and it's a single elimination. Is there any reason to be concerned? Because if it was to end today, they play LAFC. Haven't had the best year, but they've got everybody back now. That's not an easy game. And so where, where should the level of concern be? Or it doesn't matter. Once the playoffs starts, flip the switch. We'll be good. Um, I would think there'd be a little bit of concern uh, because I think before this six-game run, you you had the team playing very, very well. They were scoring lots of goals. They were looking like they were going to score lots of goals. And at the same time, they were keeping things very well balanced defensively. They weren't conceding hardly at all. And a couple of goals they did concede were some interesting penalty decisions that we had a lot of fun talking about uh, on air. So, yeah, I think at any time you look at the team that's kind of in the form going into the playoffs and – We've seen that over the years. We've seen the Sounders have, you know, kind of great form to get themselves into a playoff position and then almost be like, oh, okay, our job was done. We, we made the playoffs and then not be able to continue that from there. And then other times where it was, okay, the, the regular season didn't go the way we wanted it to, but play, playoffs are here and, 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 and we feel that we've got a home game. We've got, you know, a, a two-legged game that we feel that we can win and 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 a big reason why we've been in three uh three finals in the last four years is that kind of change of mentality of getting to the playoffs and and being ready for it as opposed to just being uh content with making the playoffs and um now we know the format's going to be a little bit different there's no uh it's no two-legged games all single elimination no for the most part, no fans in the crowd. Does that have a factor on home form? Yeah, it's going to be interesting. And uh, but there is, there has to be. Anytime you go, you know, one game, one win in six going into the playoffs, there has to be a little bit of concern. I think um, not that long ago we were talking about Jordan Morris' potential MVP 
Um, that seemed like it was, uh, you know, three or four or five games ago. And just like that, things can change. So the form has changed for the Sounders. Jordan hasn't been there in that MVP form. He's not going to win MVP now. Um, but it also lets us know that things can switch in a second too. This team could flip the switch and say, hey, this is playoff time. This is what we're used to. And, and we're going to go out and, and show what we do in the playoffs and, and make a push. Um, I think that those are the ebbs and flows of the season. And the important thing is, is that in my, in my opinion, you have these performances now versus the first round of the playoffs. You now get a week to, well, you have a game on Sunday, but you'll, you'll get some time to say, hey, these are some of the things we need to work on going into the playoffs. And we know that these guys will show up and it'll be a full strength lineup for the Sounders too, for the first time in a long time, um, like a truly full lineup. Um, and they'll have some options too on the bench. Um, hopefully that, you know, Brad Smith gets healthy in time leading into playoffs. Um, so concern, yes, but I think we've seen enough from this team in years past to not hit the panic button. And um, I, I'm, I, I'm not too worried but, about but, it. To but, be but, 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 but what, what's full strength? Are we thinking then, I'm going to assume Gustav and JP and then Christian on the right with Nico, Jordan, Raul up top. So now we're saying Jovan Jones is out. He might come off the bench. We'll bring off the bench. That's good. Sure, on paper, Brad Smith off the bench is good, but he's had no time to find any kind of match rhythm. So how big of a threat is that? So I also just wonder, um, how, but then Ariaga probably won't be there for the first round. Of the, so I'm, I'm still, yes, on paper, I think full strength gives me a bit more confidence, but that group hasn't really played together and had time to gel. And even some of the guys who you'd think off the bench, this guy's going to be a factor. Um, I think we haven't seen enough from Brad Smith. I don't think Jovin has found his form since maybe a two-game burst six weeks ago. Um, so I, I don't know. I'm a little bit still concerned. When I look at some of the teams, I think Portland's a tough team to beat. Colorado's in very, very good form. And then even when beyond that, if you do get to a Madison Club, those Eastern Conference teams are good. Philadelphia is really good. Orlando is really good. Toronto, Rizzo. I'm still, yes, full strength, but I don't know. Is any concern there that we don't have the rhythm, or maybe not rhythm, but we don't have, we haven't proven that our full strength team can just turn it on when needed. Well, do we know they're good on the East Coast? We haven't played them. That's the <laughs> part of this whole, this whole season. You know, we played the same five teams over and over again over the last few months. And, and, and yeah, there was a time there where the Galaxy were horrible. There was a time there where San Jose was horrible. Um, LAFC isn't the LAFC of last year. Uh, Portland, you know, came out of Orlando after winning MLS's back and then weren't very good for three, four weeks and then figured it out after that and started to get uh, – started to, to be good again. So I don't really know, Steve. I think that's the tricky part is, is you don't really know how – everything's going to shake up because nobody's really played everybody. And Colorado comes off of a five-week break. Uh, not five weeks, maybe it was like three and a half weeks. But they come off of this break, rested. Anybody who had any little injuries is now good to go. They get three, four games ready to get almost like a mini preseason before the playoffs. And then they get a, uh, a huge lifeline with the change in the rules to allow them an opportunity. So – then look at a team like LAFC. You know, LAFC, bef before the game last night, had only been able to train in groups of four for two weeks. Yeah. 
So then they got to go play a game when they haven't even been able to train in, as a team and then expected to play and then now go back home, not be able to train in a group, have to play again at the weekend. And that's not exactly great form going into the, uh, going into the playoffs. So, and then we don't know exactly, you know, the dynamic at a lot of other clubs dealing with COVID and everything else. And then throw a five-hour flight into the equation during the playoffs or maybe, you know, late in the playoffs. It'll, it'll be very, very interesting to see how this all shakes up. I think when you're looking at the Sounders results, you play October 18th, you play a San Jose team, nil-nil in San Jose. You'll, you'll take that point, right? And then you look at Portland at home, um, 1-1. You beat Vancouver. You lose to a Colorado team that's inspired, like Casey said. And then you play a Galaxy team that anytime there's a coaching change, that is the worst time to play a team. Even if you're a bottom dweller, it doesn't matter because guys are motivated. Um, guys are playing for contracts, potential of playoffs for those guys too. And this weekend will be a, a tell again of a team that's, you know, going to be fighting for position in the playoffs. And like Casey said, all these teams are battling certain situations and it's, it's who can overcome that adversity I think the Sounders are battle-tested in that regard more than any other team, pretty much. I think that's what they have going for them. Um, and guys will be motivated by national team call-ups or not getting called up, things like that. And I think, I, think uh, I, I still think that this team is good enough on any given day to beat any team in the West Coast right now. Um, so, okay, let's look at that then. San Jose, 6-2-1, and one, I think, in the last nine games. That's six wins in nine games. They've obviously turned it around. What the reason is doesn't really matter. They, the fact is they have turned it around. It's not the same team that was quite embarrassing, to be honest, for a little stretch there where mm. giving up five goals a game over five times. It just wasn't um, pretty. They've turned it around to an extent. That's who the Sounders play. Um, Portland go away to LAFC and then Sporting KC away to Salt Lake. Yep. If those two teams fail to get results and Seattle wins, Seattle does get the number one seed. I think so. So what do we have to do on Sunday then to get the number one seed? Because I... On the air last night, I said, you know, I want to see, it would just make my heart warm to see a full, complete performance. A 90-minute game where from minute one to the last minute, it just looks like a sound performance where we're winning tackles, we're getting in behind, we're dynamic. Of course, it's not going to be perfect, but it just seems in the last two or three games, we've had at least one really bad half. Like, a, not just we weren't good, but no, we were poor. Second half against Colorado, first half against Vancouver, and then... Last night, I think in the, in the first half, it, it looks promising when we start and then nothing happens. We're kind of just there. And then I think last night, Christian Rodon and Jordan Morris definitely changed the game when they came on and it helped. But what, what do we need to see on Sunday, aside from getting a result to end the season well, that will make you think, okay, playoffs, we're ready to go? For me, it's a sustained level of energy. And from the first minute to the 90th minute. Because as you said, you know, you're never going to have it your own way for 90 minutes. Yeah. But, if, but if there's that consistency of getting forward, tracking back, defending as a team, you know, uh, tight concentration on set pieces, uh, it just, you're right, it hasn't been there. There's been times in where a first half will, looks like it's going through the motions. Okay, that's great, right? Just haven't been punished, haven't been, you know, put themselves in a hole, uh, been able to then make adjustments at halftime, have a good second half, get a result, 
uh, let's be honest, the, the match against Colorado very easily, you know, the second half performance, that game could have gotten away from them. You know, that game could have been 5-1 or so and, and, and been, a, been a little embarrassing. So, yeah, I want to see just a, an intense uh, level of energy from start to finish. Minute one, right? Minute one. The, the first thing I think about is Casey's last hurrah here against San Jose, right? That's a, that was a decision day game, correct? Yeah, day before decision day, I think. Day before decision day. But it's, it's, it's one, there's a couple storylines for me is you love decision day games. This team has been so good on final games of the season, especially when they've been at home. Um, and historically, I think they have always been home for some reason. The Sounders end up with a home game on the last day of the season. but Because um, the Nationals want to cover it, I think. Is yeah, exactly. That's true. Yeah, yeah. a lot of people want to watch it, right? Yeah. Which plays into our favor, historically. So this team has been really good in the playoffs. Uh, they've been really good battle-tested in um, one, one-off games, uh, in decision games, in tournaments. So I think that that plays into the Sounders' hand here. The guys should be flying knowing that, hey, if we win this game, we give ourselves then an easier path in the next four weeks. So like you guys said, it has to be a fast start. Um, there's only just over a month until MLS Cup. So this window is really small right now. And the guys have to recognize you got to leave it all on the field because there's not much time left to rest guys. There's not going to be time to say, hey, this guy's going to rest 45 minutes, 60 minutes. From here on out, you're going to have to field the strongest lineup you can because ultimately one slip-up is going to have you eliminated from the playoffs. And I think for San Jose, is this Wando's swan song? Is this his last year? Or is he going to be motivated now after what he's done this year to play another season? Is this his last game at CenturyLink Field? Is this his, you know, his last game to make an impact on a big stage where usually tons of people are watching? And that team's turnaround lately – has been probably one of it, – it looked like ours in 2016 when we were terrible, and then all of a sudden you, you only lose a game or two and you make this run in the playoffs. So these are exciting storylines, lines, and I think that this will be a – it'll be a great game for us to cover on, on Sunday, um, and I, I'm, I'm excited for this. Well, and I think the crazy part, too, about that playoff <laughs> is there's that international break before it starts. And you're saying that it's a little over a month to the MLS final, but then there's going to be – you know, 10, 12 days without a game. So those playoff games are going to get thrown at you very quickly. And you're going to be able to recuperate after the season, you know, get, get, get yourself ready to go. And then they're just going to be bam, bam, bam. And, and, and who can, whose squad is the healthiest? Who's the most motivated? Who's in, you know, in, in those, who then doesn't have to travel, you know? So yeah, there's a, there's some, some key factors actors coming in there that I think the Sounders could very well be set up with a with a good win on Sunday you know avoid an injury or two uh, get some guys in that break you know healthier fitter and then uh, you're not only are you going to have you know hopefully the majority of your you know your what you would call your marquee starting 11 but then also have some depth in the bench that we saw kind of before this last international break uh, really come into play. No, absolutely. Um, Brad, real quick, because you mm. tweeted about this yesterday, talking about the battle between Alex mm. Rodon and Christian Pavon. How far is Alex Rodon from being able to challenge Kelvin? Still too far? Yeah, he's still too far. You, you have to be able to put together games like that consistently. Um, 
I was like, I don't know about you and what game you guys are watching, but I thought he was flawless in the first half. I was like beyond impressed with him, his passing and his decision-making, um, you know, his composure in the back when, you know, Pavone's pressing and he does a little chop and is able to play out a pressure. Um, if you can do that consistently, then you can start talking about really challenging. Um, that, that is the big question week in, week out. But, you know, he's probably motivated that he knows, hey, I made this roster late last year. Right. I had to go into a preseason, improve myself, probably didn't get the amount of playing time he wanted to this year. And now he's seeing the season close. Is he going to be in the same situation where, you know, you know, we don't see you in our plans next year, but you can come back in preseason and battle. So he's got to make as big of an impression now to push himself forward. He's a, he's a ways away. If he can continue to build and, and string together those, then, yeah, I, I would say that he, he could challenge. Kelvin's a different class uh, when it comes to game after game, after game, after game. Um, but time will tell with that one. Yeah, I think there's no question that he's put himself in a really good position. I, you know, of course, you know, scoring a goal late, you know, kind of tips you for the man of the match. But yeah, I agree. I thought, I thought he was a great shout for man of the match, just simply because it was a match where, you know, until that goal, you know, nobody really, you know, kind of stood out in those marquee moments. It was just a really, really good, solid performance um, from Alex. And so, yeah, I think he's put himself in a great position for next year to get uh, more playing time to, uh, you know, and start to challenge, you know, and, and I think that's the, it, it, it's sometimes it's a patience game and that's frustrating. I think for players at times and for fans, they don't understand that, that, if somebody's playing well in front of you, why do coaches change it? You know, they don't, right? They just, and, and it's up to you to just either be patient, wait for it, or to be so much better. And, and that's tough when a guy's playing well in front of you. It just, it just doesn't happen like that. So I think for the, the limited opportunities he's had, he's done very, very well. For, as you mentioned, Brad, for a, for a guy that, you know, they kind of let go offered him to come back to reprove himself. And I think he's done remarkably well with that. Uh, even with the mentality of, okay, I'm not a winger. I'm not a midfielder. I'm, I'm, if I'm going to make this squad, if I'm going to have a future at this club, it's going to be as an outside back. And I think he's, he's done very, very well. I think yeah. a, a couple, a couple things real fast to, to think about there is he's played it, He's played right back in a 4-2-3-1. He's played with five in the back. He's played, you know, in, in almost like a 3-5-2 as a wing back. So he's done it in multiple ways, and he hasn't pushed himself out of the picture. I think that's important to remember. And I also think it's important to remember that he's doing these mostly on the road in difficult places to play, right? He hasn't even gotten the experience to play at CenturyLink as a true right back, you know, for a game or two. Um, so I think he's got that on his side. I, I texted Christian today. I said, Hey, uh, hats off to your brother last night. I thought he had a, a fantastic game. I don't have Alex's number. And he said, yeah, he was Christian agreed. He thought, yeah, it's true. Um, he said uh, that he was super motivated, um, by what, I don't know. Right. Um, so there could be some internal conversations there going on, or maybe there's another team interested in his services for next year. Who knows? Um, so he's motivated and that's a good thing heading into playoffs. You want that. So sure. keep an eye out for that one. Really good. All right, great stuff. And um, folks, stay tuned. We'll be right back after this to just have some nice chats and bands. So look up a few more things around MLS and then we'll dig into some stories I want to get into with Casey from his career. Stay tuned. 
haven't said his name since he's been on the field, but here is Chicharito. Little nutmeg on Joao Paulo. Efrain Alvarez back to Chicharito. In on goal, and Chicharito finds the corner. Morris Bruin, Rui Diaz, Joao Paulo. Good football this, Morris. And he's found Rui Diaz inside the penalty area, and it's off the goalkeeper and in. Well, it's the best move of the match from the Sounders, and Raul Rui Diaz has stolen a point late. 1 1. Welcome back. Winging it with Zach, Brad, and Casey today, guest hosting with us. Um, I want to get you guys' opinion on this. So, I made a statement last night in one of the articles I write for MLS, and I really did think about this. And I said, thinking of Chicharito and his goal last night, I thought it was a quality goal, and a lot of his struggles, and trying to put myself in his shoes and thinking, you know, there's been some really big name players in MLS history. Beckham being the first, then Henry, Kaka, David Villa, Pirlo, Lampard, Gerard, Rooney, really, really big stars. Then I said, you know, outside of David Beckham, for me, I don't know that anyone's been under the pressure that Chicharito's been in. He's not in the top 10, top 15 of big 10 players. What I mean is, most of those players, when they came here, I feel their legacy was secured and people back home, wherever they came from, weren't following their every move in MLS. They weren't judged by what they did in MLS. Gerard's time at LA Galaxy doesn't diminish how he's viewed in England. No one in England was waking up to watch Sky Sports News to see how Gerard got on last night for the Galaxy. Um, the same for Thierry Henry. When he left Arsenal and Barcelona and came to New York Red Bulls, it was like, goodbye, Thierry, thanks for your service in Europe. People weren't waking up in Barcelona or in Paris or in London trying to see how Henry did away to Columbus Crew the night before. I feel like Chicharito does have that, where the Mexican talk shows, the Spanish-speaking talk shows from L.A., to Mexico City, they dissect his game, they debate, they argue, they really break down what he's doing. I feel like he's under pressure simply because of the region he's from, the amount of Spanish-speaking people here that are interested in him. So from a pressure perspective, Beckham did have pressure. I feel like Chicharito, pressure-wise, is maybe um, the second of all the stars to have come, um, right or wrong? I... I would disagree a little bit, Steve. I, I, I yeah. don't think that the Mexican fans in L.A. really care about the Galaxy. <laughs> I think they care about their club teams, and Chicharito is such a legend for, you know, both uh, his club performances in Mexico and obviously everything he's done being the, you know, the, the leading goal scorer in Mexican history. So, you know, I, I don't know. And, and being a Real Madrid player and being a Manchester United player, I don't think he walks around L.A. and people are saying, hey, when are you going to get your form for the Galaxy? I think they're just talking about El Tri and talking about his time at Real Madrid and Man U. And I don't really think there's a whole lot of pressure for him. And if there is, he sure isn't showing it. He's at least 15, 20 pounds overweight. He's... He's not putting, you know, for me, it all starts with effort. If you're going to come to MLS, regardless of what your paycheck is, you have to know that this is a league full of athletes. And you're going to have to met, match that athleticism. And if you don't do that, it's going to be tough. You think of the, of the marquee players that came here and were successful, their effort and attitude were top-notch. And that's why they showed their, their, their class. Chicharito hasn't done that. He's come in in cruise control, and I'm sorry. You come in in cruise control, I don't care if you're Zlatan, who, and let's be honest, Chicharito isn't Zlatan, but if Zlatan came in here and mailed it in, he would not have had the success that he had. I think Casey's spot on there. I think overseas, 
MLS player doesn't get enough respect for how athletic they are. There's college kids deep in the roster that are way more athletic than Chicharito is. But like Casey said, if you don't try, you're going to have to be moved on at some point. Freddie Lundberg's class showed the first year because he was motivated and willing to do some of the things early on to prove himself and assist goals working extra hard, I thought. But then we saw a different side of it when he decided not to. And then it's like, hey, people are going to pass you, right? People are going to – if you don't put in the effort, you're gone. And we'll find somebody else that can do the work. The question is, is last night I still watched Chicharito and, and, and reactions from the bench. It looks like he cares about what's going on. He threw that for the cameras. Yeah, I, yeah, maybe, maybe, well, yeah. But, but I've seen enough, enough players. Remember where he comes from. It's a football world, right? I mean, yeah. it's not here where you have, uh, you know, like, like a, an American brand. You know, we'll watch American football and basketball and maybe some hockey and maybe, you yeah. know, and, and, oh, you know, you have your, your friends who are baseball fans. I learned that really quickly when I was in Europe and, and, and Mexico is very similar. There's one sport and one sport only. And maybe you watch a little bit of Formula One or maybe, you know, but it's football, 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 football. So I could see where, yes, and I think Steve makes a very valid point. I think he knows there's a camera on him at times and there's been a, a big question mark. But he's also, I'm sure, just a football fan. And when something happens, you kind of get excited about it. I mean, but we also saw Gareth Bale on the bench at, at Real Madrid. Sitting with his feet up completely uninterested um so so yes there's there's two sides to that i think two questions 2011 goalkeeper of the year um what favorite moment or was there a specific save from that year that you remember (laughs) that stuck out as like uh is it the one we're all thinking or were there other ones in there that funny i can't remember if it was 11 or 10 i think it was 11 um what was, the, what was the year when Facito scored the late goal against? 2010. 2010. Kansas City. 2010. So we then off the kickoff were still celebrating. <laughs> oh, and, yes. And I made, and it was voted MLS save of the season. Um, you know, stuff like that. It, and, 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 and the reason why I always look at saves not by oh, that's a great save. Because, I mean, look, if you've been around the block enough, you're going to have hopefully a few great saves, right? Right. It's, it's how that save impact, impacts the match. So we just take the lead more or less in stoppage time. And then to be able to come up with a big save that gets voted save of the season Yeah. after and, that. In and stoppage then you, loo- match, you lose your mind on everyone also. To keep three points. But I always felt that it was easier to lose your mind when your team wasn't punished. Because yeah, of course. Everybody then, you know, when you're punished, everybody's down, right? right I mean, right. And, then, and then it's almost like piling on. Yeah. Where, where there, everybody has the, oh, whew, okay, we, we still kept three points. Let's go, let's go. Yeah, but I want to make sure that that doesn't happen again. <laughs> it wasn't just on the field it carried into the locker room it, it, it sometimes carries into the locker room i think the uh, that carried into the locker room the most was when when we conceded two late goals at home against yeah. dc three and, three games yeah and that one that one i lost my mind because because <laughs> we were too good to do that and particularly at home and uh yeah 
Favorite uh, national team moment? Is there a game that sticks out to you personally? I can answer that, yeah. Well, there's two. I mean, there's, there's the Brazil game. Brazil game, um, yeah. And then there's the, uh, the Italy game in 2006. Um, to be able to, you know, play the majority of the second half with nine men um, against the uh, future winners of the tournament, you know, to, and that draw kept us in the tournament. Um, and then, unfortunately, you know, everything that could have gone wrong in that first half against Ghana, you know, went wrong, you know, conceding a, a phantom penalty from the referee, thing, you know, things like that, that, you know, sometimes that's out of your control. But if we wouldn't have had the team spirit, the fight, you know, I was able to make a couple saves, uh, you know, we got the own goal, you know, things like that. Sometimes things need to go your way and, 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 and anytime you can pick up points, against the uh you know the future winners of the world cup that that's kind of a fun day and and the other thing i remember about that match was we were in kaiserslautern and it was truly a, you know a forty-five thousand seat stadium twenty thousand americans twenty thousand italians maybe five thousand neutrals and I mean, what an unbelievable atmosphere. Because, you know, sometimes in those matches, it is. It's a bunch of neutrals. It's a hand. It's a couple pockets of fans. This was truly tremendous atmosphere for a World Cup. Uh, yeah, Casey, I've never asked you this. I, and it's weird because I always talk about this when you're not there. About, I think Brad might agree. Maybe because I came from college. is my first professional experience. I don't know if Brad had seen anything like it. But I'd never seen that anyone trained the way you train. I remember the way just, and I mean it in the sense of, I look over sometimes, we're doing a passing drill and you and Tommy were just, and Tommy can shoot. Tommy's like going after yeah. it and you're diving left, right, left, right. Then we get into a small sided game and you, I mean, I'm just, this guy's insane. You make a save, you get up, you scream at everyone and oh, make another save. I said, okay. Then we play like, you know, our, our first year where we go on the road and it was tough, it was tough to go on the road, maybe Chicago away or Salt Lake away. And, there were so many games. We should have lost 3-0, 4-0, but you would make, I mean, save after save after save. And I've always wondered, where did that come from for you? Was there, were you always that way? When you think of growing up in Washington, playing youth soccer, were you someone who always did the extra work or did it click when you got to Europe and like, if I want to make it here, I've got to train at this level. Where did that come from? And my second part to that is, were you able to switch it off? Because I've heard crazy people like Michael Jordan where he wants to compete of everything. He gets to the parking lot, he wants to race you to his car. He want, like, that's insane to me. So could you switch it off when you got home with all your kids and wife or did it carry on and everything? Well, I mean, first and foremost, I grew up on a farm. So farm mentality is, you know, there's 25 hours of work in a 24 hour day. So, uh, you know, you, you, don't, you don't stop because, oh, it's five o'clock, it's time to go home. You stop when the work is done. Uh, if you're not feeling well, um, the animals aren't going to feed themselves. You know, you still got to get your ass out of bed and go to work. So, I mean, there was, that was, you know, that was part of the mentality. And then I think what, what I learned pretty, pretty early on too, was that if you want to be a goalkeeper, and I tell us about kids, you know, kids will ask me, you know, what do I need to do as a goalkeeper? I said, the first thing I usually ask them is how tall their dad is. Um, and then that usually starts the, you know, if your dad's you know. five, six, um, you should really think about being a midfielder. Um, but <laughs> Uh, but then, but then it is, I said, you have to understand that if you're going to be a goalkeeper, you're going to have your team practices, but then you're going to have to go have your individual goalkeeping practices. 
because very, very few clubs, right, in, in youth sports are going to have a designated goalkeeping coach that happens to coincide with your team practice. Um, so, you know, you have to put the extra work in there. Uh, and then, and then I think it, it, it's, you know, I think nothing in a 20 year career is, you know, it, it doesn't start, right. It doesn't start from day one. It's a evolution of different things you've had. And I had, I had some very, very good goalkeeping coaches who had their own different ways of doing things. And, and uh, my last goalkeeper, well, not my last goalkeeping coach, but my goalkeeping coach at, at Gladbach, Uwe Kamps, I really credit him for, you know, working me to the point where my career could elongate to the point that it did. Because I think what happens is, is you, have, you have to be very careful that you don't just think, okay, I've gotten to this point. Now I'm going to rest on my laurels. I have to continue to push myself. Now, maybe I have to taper that. I mean, you guys probably remember my Friday sessions didn't look like my Tuesday sessions. Um, there was a reason for that. It was because, yeah, I can work, 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 work. Now, okay, now I have to get ready for, for Saturday or Sunday and so that day before session would be tapered, but I can't taper my whole week. And the thing that used to drive me nuts and, and Tommy would attribute, he would, yeah, he would, uh, it probably drove him nuts too, uh, having to deal with me, but we'd get kids coming in on trial or having a look at or whatever. And I'm like, I, I don't mind if you're, I, I don't expect you to be, you know, the best goalkeeper ever coming in at 22 years old on trial. But when you're getting your ass kicked physically by a 40 year old man and you can't, and you're slowing me down because I got to wait for you, there's a problem there. And so there's something that's happened in some of the training with, you know, some of these kids that it's just not where it needs to be. And the best way you can uh, goalkeeping is all about pressure and the best way you can emulate pressure is through fatigue so if i can be so tired and my eighth shot looks like my first shot then i have a chance of coping with pressure in a big situation if my eighth shot is a disaster, if I can't concentrate on my first shot, if I can't, no, it's about that, that process. And, 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 I, and I'm, so, and a, you know, back to your point about talking to Adrian and all that, a big part of coming too was working with Tommy. So that, that I, I knew that it was going to be, you know, what I needed to, to play at the level that I would have felt comfortable in, in making that commitment. Um, Brings me to national team then. Are you seeing that with the guys on the national team or are you seeing the hunger there now that it's going to take to win some big games, win in this qualification, get to a World Cup and really produce? Or are we still another cycle away? Do these guys still need four years under their belt to really get the program and get that work ethic day right. in, day out? There was a lot of chips 
on some shoulders when I played with the national team, particularly in, you know, the, you know, the late nineties, you know, early two thousands where there was a, there was a thought process that, you know, MLS didn't appreciate us because they're paying us a fraction of what they're paying some of the foreign players. Uh, I'm going to do what I need to do to get to, to Europe. Then when I got to Europe, I didn't feel like I was being respected in Europe. So, so now I've, I'm trying to either show a new club or show the club I'm playing for in the opportunity I'm getting with the national team. And so, so there was an edge there. Um, and then it was almost bad, like it, like it got too easy. And there was a, a, a group, I mean, what was it? Was it two or three Olympics under 23s we didn't qualify for? Well, that leaves a void you know, in that national team program and, you know, guys who then would go push themselves in Europe were now starting to get comfortable contracts in MLS. And so it has to be a case where play to the highest level you possibly can and keep pushing yourself and keep pushing yourself and, and push yourself to get better. You know, if, Look, not a, and if, if, if Europe's not your thing, cool. But can you go from, oh, you're, you're a goal scorer in MLS. I scored 10 goals. Can you score 14? Can you score 18? Can you now score three years in a row where you're scoring 20-plus goals a year? You know, it's that, and we have to get to that. And the difference is, is we've, we don't trust me. There is not a fraction of the pressure of playing an MLS like it is in some of these other leagues. Right. Um, and if you then have to go to El Salvador and the pitch is surrounded by guys with machine guns and the pitch is, you know, it's eight inches long, the grass and it's bump and it's hot as heck and humid and well, I don't know. I'm, I'm comfortable. I don't really need, no, it's, it's a fight every time you get on the field. And, and I think we're getting there, Brad. I think we're getting back to it. Uh, COVID obviously hasn't helped. And we're talking about almost a year between national team games. Uh, obviously there's, there's some very good players in MLS. We got a lot of kids coming through at some big clubs in Europe, getting some regular playing time. I'm confident and I just hope that this young squad can perform when it matters. I think uh, real fast, I, I don't have any regrets in my career really, but one thing I sometimes think about is my contract was up with the Sounders and I was having a really good run with the national team. Right. And I had to make the decision, do I try to go to Europe and test myself, or do I take the contract offered by MLS? And everyone's in a different situation. I didn't have any concrete offers, but it was still only September at the time. And I didn't have any concrete offers. And there was nobody really giving me the guidance to say, go overseas, go overseas. And and Jurgen was at the time, he was like, yo, you need to go test yourself. And, but nobody else was. And I get Jurgen's thought process was always go to Europe, go to Europe and test yourself. And sometimes I think, man, if I would have just taken the opportunity to go and try and do it with what I've been to at the world cup. Would right. I, you know, have solidified then my position there or 
does that change your career in big time ways, you know? And then I guess you go back the other way and Omar goes and trains over there. And in the first training session tears an ACL, sure. right? Sure. And, and, and so I guess your mind goes both ways and you try not to live with any regrets, but I oh. think there is that piece as a player in MLS where you're always going to think, man, I wish I would have at least just gone and tried it, right? A trial is one thing, but... Right, it made it really easy back in the day because the offer right. that MLS would have given you made up your mind for you. Right, right? true, true. Now, and, and it's... And, and look, I would prefer it this way. Don't get me wrong. I want the U.S. players to be rewarded for being the very good players on their team. But then at the same time, you ha I mean, I was doing an analytics conference on the East Coast and I'm, you know, I'm not a big analytics guy. I think there's a place for it, but I also think the eye test is the biggest thing uh, out there. Uh, but I said, oh, look, I'll give you some numbers. And I said, this club I played for founded in 1885. I said, this club I played for was founded in 1886. Okay, let's move to Germany. This club I played for was founded in 1900. This club I played for in Spain was founded in 1917 or whatever. I said, MLS was founded in 1996 after how many different incarnations of leagues, you know, went under. I said, we as a nation, as a soccer nation, have significantly overachieved at the international level for a number of years. We have come so far, and I'm so proud of what MLS has done in such a short period of time, but we are truly 20 plus years in with leagues that are 150 years in and guess what they have no competition their competition right. the premier league's competition is la liga theirs isn't the nba nfl major league baseball nhl x games uh you know the list goes on so it, it's going to take a while and so when you when, when a when a player and again, there's no right answer. There's no wrong answer, Brad. It's not the, you should have done this. You could, no, there's no right or wrong answer. It's just the way it worked out. Yep. But I will always say to a player, if, if you feel uh, that you want to give that a shot, home is always going to be here. You know, you're an American. You can always look at Omar, right? Yeah. Omar went over, smoked his knee, had a great career in Mexico because back in MLS, doing well. You know, it's, it's not a case of, of uh, there won't be options for you back home. Yeah. So, yeah, that's the cool part about this sport is there's a lot of leagues. There's a lot of different paths. There's a lot of different options. And I was one who wanted experience. I could have very easily stayed in England my whole career. Um, I wanted to go to La Liga. I wanted to play at the Bernabeu. I wanted to play at the New Camp. Uh, oh, I had an opportunity to go to Germany. Oh, I played in, the, in one of the last league games uh, with Bayern Munich at the Olympic Stadium, and I played in the first league game against Bayern Munich at the, at the new arena. Um, you know, to be, to be playing in Germany leading up to the World Cup, so much fun. Uh, so cool to be a part of that. Um, I loved the experience of, of winning over new teammates, winning over new fans, uh, playing against clubs, you know, in different countries. So 
Yeah, I, and then and then I truly, truly love the opportunity, not just to come back to, not just to come to MLS, but to truly come home to the Northwest, uh, be a part of, you know, such a cool franchise in the inaugural years, and and yeah, I'm, I have no complaints. I mean, sure, don't get me wrong, Brad. I'm just like you. There was, you know, should I have stayed at Leicester? Should I, you know, should I, you know, there, there's a lot of shoulda, coulda, wouldas, yeah. but. No regrets whatsoever. Yeah. I have to say, I did play in the uh, stadium opener of Levi's Stadium. <laughs> you did? That was – I broadcasted the opening of Levi's Stadium. <laughs> Put that down in the record books, guys. Don't forget about that. Um, <laughs> in case you play, I would say, in three of maybe the top five leagues in the world, if you think, you know, Italy, England, Spain, Germany. Um, can you argue France? I don't know. But you play in Germany, in England, and in Spain. And I think one of the more iconic clubs you played for, because growing up in England, for me, I knew the crazy gang, which was Wimbledon. Right. And then we also knew Millwall for their crazy fans. Uh, what was your experience playing for Millwall in front of those fans, especially back then? Well, I mean, when it's your first club, you don't know any different, right? So, I mean, it wasn't really until I left Millwall that I did understand just how crazy Millwall was. Uh, I remember one of my teammates at Leicester, we were kind of on a bus ride home and I'd been there a couple of weeks and we're having a conversation. He's like, Casey, you know, when you were at Millwall, were you ever like in a pitch invasion? And I kind of thought about it. I said, I was in like three or four pitch invasions a season. And I was just kind of like, and that wasn't really until I left Millwall that I realized just kind of how rare that was. I thought that was just kind of normal. Um, so yes, Millwall, Millwall has a reputation, uh, deservedly so, but then at the same time, it was probably the most family-friendly club I played for. And by explaining that is, you know, I had just come, you know, from university, I'd gone over and so I had a lot of friends who had either graduated or maybe they're taking a class in Europe or they're, and then they're traveling around. If you came to the den and spoke with an American accent and some, and you told somebody that you were a friend of mine, they would have totally taken you under their wing, said, Hey, I'll show you where the, where the players are going to come out after the game and come with me and we'll do this. And Oh, by the way, if you see somebody with a West Ham shirt on, hit them over the head with a brick. But um, other than that, just, uh, just uh, let's, uh, I'll show you where Casey's coming out of the car park. Biggest rivalry at Millwall was West Ham? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So you're fighting Green Street hooligans. Oh, that's – yeah. I mean, but uh, when, when we played West Ham, because my first full season, West Ham was in the championship, and they ended up getting promoted that year. But we ended up, I think, taking four points off of them in the two matches. But, uh, you know, it was helicopter circling the stadium the whole match and pre-match and post-match and – you know, the amount of security, uh, uh, mounted police behind the goals. Um, yeah, it was, it was wild. I mean, really, really wild. Okay, so last one from me. I'm curious for you. Obviously, you look back and you think, okay, I played against this guy in this stadium. At the time, were you aware, for example, if you're lining up in the tunnel at the new camp and you look across and there's Rivaldo and there's Figo, are you thinking at the time, like, this is pretty special. These are some of the best players in the world. Or is that only 
years later, when you look back, you think, wow, I played against him. No. But I think Ra- Raul, but yeah, how in the moment were you aware of what was happening? Well, I think what you try to do, I think because maybe I spent a good, you know, it was a good building block for me. Uh, the, the time in the championship, you know, you think of a, how many young goalkeepers do you see playing games? You know, I was able to at 22, you know, through, you know, four seasons uh, at, at Millwall till I was, you know, 25, 26 to play 200 matches and really get that building block. So then by the time I got to the premier league, I, through cup games, through different things, national team games. I had played a major, a lot of, a lot of the players. Then there's that part where you just say, look, I, I need to at least act like I belong, right? That, that, yeah, I am lined up against these guys, but there's a reason why I'm lined up against these guys because I am one of these guys, or I hope to really be one of these guys. Um, later, yes, you look into these situations where, Oh, that was cool. I saved a penalty from Figo in the last minute of a match. Uh, you know, you, oh, yeah, remember that hat trick Alan Scherer scored on me or Dennis Burkamp or Raul or, uh, yeah, there's a, there's a few out there that uh, you kind of laugh about. But then when you run into people later and, and you know, they're like, you know, I remember I was with one of my bosses. Uh, we were down broadcasting uh, for the World Cup in Brazil. And, you know, Rude Van Nistelrooy and I were hanging out at the bar and, uh, and one of our bosses kind of came down and was like, you know, kind of having a drink with us. And, you know, he says something to Rude and he goes, hey, Rude, you know, so did you and Casey ever play against each other? And Rude kind of gets this look on his face. and He's like, hey, I should have had 10 more goals in the Premier League if it wasn't for this ass. And, uh, <laughs> And so, you know, it's stuff like that that you kind of sit back. And, you know, the conversations I've had, I mean, I, obviously being a Spurs player, it was right at the time when, you know, Thierry was at Arsenal. And if you can find this photo, there was a situation, we're at Highbury, and Thierry's coming in one-on-one. But the whistle had blown for an offside. So everybody had kind of turned around. Well, I had kind of gone down but then the whistle blew. Well, I started to get up, but Thierry tried jumping over me. And I completely flipped him on his head. And I mean, there's a photo in one of the papers where Thierry Henry is vertical with his head in the turf. And later we, we would, we'd like laugh about it. And I was like, so apologetic. And I was just like, I didn't do it on purpose. Honestly, I thought I didn't even know you were jumping over me. You know, it's that kind of stuff that you kind of, you know, kind of makes me smile. Cause I think just as an American, I remember my, you know, my first three months, six months playing in England, almost every conversation I had with a journalist was the question always started you know, first of all, what's an American doing here? And, and, and second of all, what's an American doing here playing so well? Right. And then to get to that point where maybe three or four years later, I have a conversation with a journalist and the journalist said, hey, Casey, you know, what do you really think about this big influx of foreign players coming into the Premier League? And I was like, well, you know, I am one of those players. Foreign, yeah. <laughs> and he's like, Oh, no, you, you don't count. You're, you know, and it was like, 
obviously I've earned enough respect where the English journalist now doesn't even look at me like I'm a foreign player. So it was those situations, you know, where you, you run into the former players and there's that, you know, instant respect and, but don't get me wrong, Steve, there still were times where you're just kind of later. Wow. That was pretty cool. My, my biggest, you know, I, I've know some, some rock stars. I know some, you know, some actors and stuff. like that. I don't get kind of overawed very often, but I was in a, I was seeing one of my doctors in Munich one time and, and, and he kind of pops into my room and he's, Hey Casey, uh, is it cool if somebody comes in and says hi? And I'm like, yeah, that's cool. You know, of course. Door opens and it's Beckenbauer. <laughs> that's and I was like, oh. it was truly one of those moments. Starstruck. And, and I think what caught me more off guard is he kind of asked if he could come into my room. <laughs> no, it wasn't like, oh, you, you, the Kaiser has called you into the right. room. To, you, you've been summoned, yeah. To, yes, you've been summoned to bow at the feet of the Kaiser. But uh, so. Don't you, know, you guys look, think that words of affirmation for us were always meant more from players that you played against or players that watched you versus any fan could ever say, any journalist, any coach? That's how I feel. As I always yeah. look at, like, after a game, a big-time player comes over and says, hey, great game today. Right. And just that mutual respect of competing. Those are the moments that you remember. And 100%. I think that rings true for everyone. Yeah. Which is, which is pretty cool. Yeah. The, the, the Dennis Burkham Patrick, that all Arsenal fans remember, Premier League fans remember the fantastic goal he scored. Was that the day of, or the day before your twins were born? Is it related to the day after? Birth? The day, it was the day after. Yeah. So I was US. in London uh, with Kristen and the kids drove home that night. Uh, and played Arsenal the next day. <laughs> Dennis Burkham. Oh, and then, and then, so Kristen was induced that day. So then I could play Arsenal on Wednesday, played Sheffield Wednesday on Saturday. Uh, Sunday, flew to Portland to play a big qualifier for Costa Rica the next weekend that helped us solidify qualification for 98. <laughs> Absolutely love it. Steve, okay. Steve, you didn't know that that's why he named his twins Beck and Bauer? Yes, yes. <laughs> yeah. Cameron and Chloe don't know that their real names are <laughs> No, Absolutely brilliant. Case, always a pleasure. Welcome back on any time, honestly, man. Absolute pleasure, man. Thanks, guys. Anytime. As always, we want to thank you all for tuning in to Winging It with Zach and Brad and Casey Keller this week. Um, don't forget, fans, Decision Day this Sunday. Decision Day. The Sounders fighting for the number one seed and the right to have home field all throughout the playoffs in the West and hopefully also at MLS Cup. Game is at 3.30. Sounders face an informed San Jose Earthquakes, 3.30 p.m. You can tune in with us um, at 3.30 for the broadcast on Joe TV. Kickoff will be um, a little bit after that, but tune in at 3.30. We'll be on Joe TV broadcasting this Sounders FC game. Also, I believe, Prime Video. Um, and on the radio, KJR, listen in. Sounders, San Jose, this Sunday, 3.30 p.m. Be there with us. Thanks for listening. We'll be back as soon as the playoffs begin. <laughs>